Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Slate House Property Management. Slate House manages over 3,500 units across the Mid-Atlantic, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Property management is sure not the sexiest industry, but what makes Slighthouse unique is it was founded by investors and engineers. Slighthouse has built or licensed over 12 different technologies to improve returns for investors and make better living experiences for tenants. Full-time maintenance guys help work get done quicker at a reasonable price. Slighthouse manages properties for many of the guests on this show and has helped them scale their business while they focus on acquiring properties. For more information, go to slatehousegroup.com, call 717-413-6976, or email service at slatehousegroup.com. Look forward to talking to you. What's up, guys? I am pumped coming into you live from the Trenton Hive today. Got a really cool guest. Honored to have him here on the podcast, Jason Yarusi. Hey, Chad. How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing great. Psyched to be here. Yeah, this is awesome. So uh, what I, what I want to have Jason kind of go through some of his background, and then we'll get into some of the kind of special sauce that he creates. And I think so many people can learn from um, what excites me the most, Jason, that you've been able to figure out and kind of explain to the audience is you basically have syndicated and own multifamily in a whole bunch of states, really none of which is even where you live, right? So it's all, you live in Northern New Jersey. Correct. Yep. Uh, but then own multifamily buildings really all over the place in, in different states that are, that are pretty far away from, New, from your house. Absolutely. Yeah. For a number of different reasons. So why don't you just take us through kind of, uh, first off, get maybe some background for the audience. What, wh where are those located? And then, you know, why you chose that approach as opposed to, I think was the more traditional approach, which is invest in a, an area that you know really well right down the street. Sure. Yeah. So currently now uh, we're general partners on about 800 units uh, spread out across Texas, uh, Georgia, and also Kentucky with another two projects under contract. So goes back for a while, right? It was um, very hands-on, tying family. So it makes sense that we want to do everything ourselves because ultimately we always think we're the best. And yep. so we can always do it better, which is always our fault too as well. Uh, still very heavily involved in our family construction business which specializes in house lifting, moving buildings. We've been doing that for my dad 45 years, you know, so a long time. Doing that here in New Jersey, you, you realize- really, really pause you. So you're saying lifting buildings. Lifting buildings. Literally lifting it off the ground and Correct. moving it 
I guess, back or sign? Or yeah, most of it now, a lot of people will know it because of flooding reasons. Okay. So a lot would happen. We, you know, we had Hurricane Sandy here, gotcha. horrible, horrible storm. Hundreds of thousands of houses flooded. Now either they they were in disrepair and the town required them to be lifted or FEMA came in and gave them grant money or their insurance rates are going bonkers, which they still are today. And to, to supersede that and hopefully get the insurance rate down and hopefully not flood again, we go in there and we lift the home up higher. So if it was two feet off the ground, maybe we'll take it eight feet off the ground based on what the town requirements, state requirements. And then there'll be a new foundation will be built underneath. And of course now, hopefully the flood insurance will be much less and hopefully they won't flood in the future. That's awesome. So. Uh, then you parlay that into multifamily in different states, basically. Yeah, and it, it it was a learning lesson here. So so when you get into something as as active in construction, you have to think about this. And especially the, the hurricane was was it, that was the impetus of, of this all because it got so busy. Imagine you know how many people do you know that that live to move houses? It's not something that you're going to do none. twice, right? Zero. Exactly, none. Yeah. So I'm the first one. But if you think about this capacity. It's, we've been very busy going across four states to do this for years. So we go Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, based on need. Sometimes moving houses, sometimes uh, fixing, you know, lifting houses that can fix the foundation, sometimes settleback issues, sometimes lifting it for flooding reasons. Hurricane Sandy happens and it got so astronomically busy within a point that I could hit with a rock from where we are down, down the Jersey shore. We, if there was 25 hours in a day and eight days in a week, we could have used every bit of them because it was so busy and it would just never stop. And we did years of this. And it just just dawned on this that, well, if this stops, so does everything we're bringing as income and revenue. Yeah. Just like anything. And we're working like dogs. We're trying to provide value, get people home. We're trying to do our best to accomplish all these tasks. But once this shuts off, it, it, it now goes away. Plus, what kind of lifestyle is this? So we wanted to find something that, that would add a more passive approach to our life. So silly being, of course, my, my wife gets a real estate license and starts uh, going down that path and hoping to find those projects. We start uh, looking for houses that we could flip, you know, some of the, some of the houses that were storm torn that we go out there and we could, we could flip and put back in line, put back in the market, um, start doing Airbnbs. And what we found is that, well, man, we're just creating more jobs for ourselves. So, so now we just went from super busy to now adding on other super activities and okay, great. They're all here local and we have our hands on it, but now we're, we're taking on a bunch of stuff that maybe we're good at, but we're great at nothing. And we had a conversation with a friend of uh, my wife's and he, he was investing out of state and he was investing in these small, small single family houses out, out of state. And he had a team in place and we said, oh, what does that look like? Walked us through the model and we started buying some two, three, and four families out of state in Indiana, complete in disrepair, but there was a team in place. And ultimately, the next month, we start getting checks. We start, you know, renovate these, put tenants in them, you know, put them back in line. And the next month, the same thing happens. And the next month, the same thing. And the cash flow becomes just phenomenal. Plus, I can't mess it up by being close enough to it that I'm going to get involved and screw up a process. And now the process starts to go, go and go. And the only thing that, that dawns on me is that, okay, well, if I have a two family, I have one vacancy, I'm only 50% occupied. What if well, we did this with a 20 unit or a 50 unit or a hundred unit? And I'm like, and my wife, it, it was that moment where that, that was a breaker, right? She, she, she had to get that across her mind. Cause I was, I was like, well, if you could do this on, on a two, three and four family, and that makes sense. Well, 
if you 10X this or 20X this or 30X this, where does that get you along the cycle here? Especially if you can create a system where you don't have to be actively involved in going out there and doing, doing the active repairs or doing the active management. So we went from a three and four unit, our uh, next purchase, we sold them and went into a 94 unit. And that was our first big jump in Kentucky. And we did that by really just aligning and understanding how people were doing it and then repeating the process. That's awesome, man. So I want to, let's dig in a little bit deeper. So you talked about systems and process and, and I love how you almost, you basically made the point that it's actually easier to, it almost forces you to have systems and process since it, since you're not down the street. Correct. Um, you know, you were telling me uh, that if the house burns down, what are you going to do? I mean, you, you, you can't go out and fix it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, talk, so let's dig a layer deeper there. Can you talk me through some of the processes that you've made for yourself and for your team to create a cadence so that you feel like you're still in the loop and understand what's going on essentially virtually? Sure. And so just because we're investing a thousand miles away or whatever's that capacity, it, it, people can think it's risky. But if I'm here in New Jersey and I'm in Northern Jersey and Chad, you say, hey, I got this great deal for you in Trenton. Well, I don't know Trenton. So it, it, if I didn't know, you know, Kentucky, it, it's the same thing as me investing in Trenton as it, it is in Kentucky because I don't know the market. So really the, the first step to, to really safeguard us was that we just under, started understanding the dynamics of what large multifamily meant, what it was, the terms, how to understand the terms, start having a talk to talk and start having a walk to walk. And once we could do that and could understand that, then we could figure out what we needed. And it got really, first part was just understanding and dissecting markets because within any market, even like a Trenton where we are, there, there's better sub markets uh, and there are better areas of Trenton and worse areas of Trenton. If I don't know that, that's where I can get into deep trouble. So at Louisville, Kentucky, that we're, we're heavily involved in, we really got into that market to understand where was the path of progress? Where was the working class? Where was the, the blue collar living? Where was new construction coming online? Where wasn't it coming online? Where were the areas that, that they were saying no to the Walmart because they want nothing new there? Nothing's ever gonna trend there. Dissecting that so we knew that, okay, we don't invest in the East, we don't invest in the West, we don't invest in downtown, we invest in the South and South Central sub-markets because those are the markets that fit for blue collar working class areas. Then we're gonna look at the population and job growth and, and the job diversity. Okay, is this an area where, where people wanna live and why are they living there? Okay, well, it's it's comparably considered the center of the, of the country because you can almost fly from there to get to Seattle as you can to get to New York. So they have UPS, FedEx, GE, Amazon Hub, Churchill Downs, you know, um, University of Louisville, a number of different employers there. So there's nothing that's gonna take out my, my tenant base because now one employer goes down. So we started looking at those metrics and say, okay, this is where we wanna be. But now I need to build out that team. That yeah. team is gonna be able to help me get there. That yeah. team is gonna be able to help me to accomplish this. So I have to understand how to talk to that team and what roles I need them to put in there. Because I can have the best plan in the world wherever I am, but if I don't have people that can put the plan to action, then I can't get my plan accomplished. So that comes down to property management, which you, you know very well. So for that, looking for the right property management company that's going to now be with me to be able to understand the process I'm looking for, give me guidance, most importantly, give me guidance to say that my plan's ultimately gonna do well or, or they, it won't hit the mark because of these certain points and not just tell me things are gonna happen because, but there also need to be in the space that I wanna do. If I wanna do 100 to 150 unit BC assets with that type of tenant base, if they're managing all single family houses or managing new construction, they're not gonna align with my approach because I'm not ultimately giving them the 
the right resources to do what they do best. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean that, uh, you know, I think, would you say most of your stuff's like C plus, B minus? It's in that range, C plus, B minus. Yeah. Yep. Right. So if you bring on a team that likes doing new construction, it's going to be a miss, right? Because, uh, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, and I, you know, in the prime management world, uh, there's a lot more pressure on the team, I think, in, in, in you know, the C class than mm -hmm. A class. It's just, it's a little easier. Um, different challenges, I guess. Uh, leasing's, you know, you got higher income and, and some higher numbers to hit, but, uh, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You want a team that has experience in that place. And then, so then take me all the way through it. So you actually, you acquire the property. And then how are you kind of keeping on track of it without having to be there every day? So the next point too. So you're, you're only as good as, as the information you're getting. And where I, where I find a lot of investors go wrong is that, oh, I hired a property management company. And then three months later to say, well, I don't like the property management company. Well, well, what kind of guidance did you give them? What kind of, did you ask what kind of reports you can, did you ask how reports are going to be now uh, put together to be sent to you? Do, do you have any uh, protocol with meetings? Do you have any um, step in for when they contact you from repairs? So we set up everything we wanted from the property management company. And that was part of our interview process. So do, do we have real-time data? Is this something where I'm, I, I'm going to get a fax every two weeks or can I, can I dial in on a Sunday night and find what my collections are? Uh, do you have a, a construction arm in house uh, minus mechanicals that can handle stuff? So everything doesn't have to get built out every time I need a, a small plumbing repair. Uh, are you serviced in the BC assets? Like you said, that are a lot more tenant heavy on tenant relations yeah. that are, are you versed in this part right here? Would, do you have a uh, eviction lawyer on, on point for it right here? So we, we don't have to go outside every time we go there. It's yeah. all that dialed in. So we have that process. And then we gave them, we started automating what we wanted from them. I the, the biggest cost for BC assets for you is when, when a unit goes vacant and the time it takes and the turn and the time it's down, because now people are out of, out of the unit, you don't have, you don't have revenue coming in. So, the time I can take for me to get a turn quote, have that come back and me look at a turn quote and say, okay, I, I don't approve this. I approve this. I don't approve this. Have it go back to them, have them rewrite the quote, come back to me. Well, that's money out of my pocket and it's costing me and my investors a ton of money. So I went in there and automated exactly what should happen on a turn. If a fan's broken, don't replace the fan, put in a flush mount. Fans are always trouble. Uh, if it's carpet on the second, if, if it's, uh, you know, uh, LVL on the second floor, putting carpet because it's their concrete slabs. So we want carpet so they're not affecting people downstairs. If the uh, appliances are of this age or older, replace them and gave them a whole repertoire of what's going to happen on the turns. So they should just be sending me over the exact turn quote very quickly because they have the checklist of what's happening. We have weekly Thursday calls, those Thursday calls with all our properties across the board in all the states. We go through, I get reports on Wednesday. So I just, literally, uh, tomorrow's Thursday. Got reports coming in. We'll go through reports, look at all, all the points. Uh, the reports will happen in a series. Construction will be up first if we're, if we're in a repositioning phase just to have them get on because they don't need to stay on the phone for the whole time. We'll go over any construction issues. Then we'll dive into leasing, uh, leasing collections straight through. Then we'll finish out with any um, priority items that are on our list right now that have to be tackled that just are part of the call. Signs or? Anything at that point. Anything you know? that's kind of weird stuff. Yeah, uh, someone um, tripped, there was a little, you know, trip hazard or something at that point we, you know, yeah. that, that we need to call to attention to. So it's something uh, that it, it just, it needs to be set on the, on the call because they don't need to involve us in everything, but at certain points that need to be brought up. Mm -hmm. That's great, man. So, I mean, I love the cadence that you have created I think, um, look, being in the prime management world, we, we talk to a lot of owners 
um, especially on the inbound side who have a different prime management company or maybe you're self-managing and it, it is really easy to say, I don't like the property management company. Yep. Uh, I usually think of it as like, you know, look in real estate, a lot of things can cause for an investment to not work, mm -hmm. right? You chose the wrong asset. It was the wrong time. You paid too much. The, there was an issue on the maintenance, the building architecture, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, the, but the easiest is I don't like the prime management team, <laughs> you know? You guys and, uh, are in an unforgiving business, right? So you do well, the investor sells the project. <laughs> if you don't do well, they get fired. You know? yeah. so it, and the a, investor, usually when they sell yeah. it, they say, man, that was a great buy. Yeah. I, I picked out a good one. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting that, that you really kind of take on yourself to say, almost to say, I'm not going to let my prime management company fail and I'm going to create processes and systems, which are, which go right in hand with tech and everything we've talked mm -hmm. on the show is um, you know, basically automate, you know, I want to see reporting on Wednesday, Thursday, a weekly sync. And I think, look, I think for someone that has a hundred units or, or more, I think a weekly sync makes a lot of sense Yeah. for that guy who has maybe 10 units. That's probably a monthly sync. Can be, right? Yeah, it can be. And it goes in the stage yeah, of, the, of how involved, like if it's a heavy rehab and those, those 10 units you have are literally all down to the studs, you got a lot going on. Maybe that's a, a, a more than a week call. Right. Just and then, then it phases into. It phases in, exactly. Yeah. Um, or I even love how you say, if you're doing heavy rehab, you want the maintenance point on the call for the first part. Correct. But that guy probably goes away yep. once the heavy rehab is over. Yeah. That's why I put him up first because he doesn't need to be involved in right. an hour of lease. Come back in a year. He's probably not long on the call anymore because you, you've yeah. kind of done that. Yeah. We do the same thing with our investors. So we have investors on our project and First uh, year, we say, okay, listen, first year, you're going to get a monthly update and financials at these points, and this will be at a point. Um, it depends on repositioning. If this is like a six-month reposition, year two is going to go to quarterly update. You're welcome to call me, text me, email me, you know, anytime you want, but that's just going to how the updates are going to come out because I can. there's not so much to tell you in the second yeah. or third year. Talk me through reporting. What are you looking for? You talked about kind of automated reporting and I'm sure for the prime management company, maybe some it is automated. Sometimes they're actually manually putting together for you. Correct. What are you looking for? What, what does that report look like? Depends on the project, right? So right now, if we are in terms of a point where it's a heavy repositioning, we, we always want to meet our investors. It's very important that we go in there. We're trying to find a project that, that we can provide cash flow. And we've always met first order distributions. So there's a, there's a hedge, right? Where if you're going to go in and the, the property is, is, is not stabilized, market rents are way under, and you're gonna have to do a lot of tenant retraining that you have to make a choice here of a, of a, we almost call it like a traffic light where we want to rip off the bandaid and get some of the, the rents up to market, but I don't want to do it to a fact here where I'm going to take the building down and, and not be able to meet returns. So I'm looking here for guidance where, where how is our plan being implemented? Are we being able to hit market rents where, where we're going? Is our collections keeping up that even with the tenants we're keeping in there, uh, where, where are those collections keeping on pace where we're able to start getting back some of that money? Because the tenant training can be a whole new process, right? You could have a full month where they don't even know to take rent if they're not checking their mail or not checking the letters. Uh, then past that, we're also looking at um, really our move-in and move-out dates making sure that sequencing, anything that's going to be potentially coming up for eviction so we can get ahead of that, especially in that in that part right there. And what would be some other items on there? Uh, Moving dates, uh, where it, it, having that point where how far can we push rents to? Because we may say that for tenants that are now currently in there, if we're 100% if we're stabilized, 
or 100% occupied, yeah. but releasing basically. Yeah. So, and we have everybody on month to month because there was no, you know, that's, we made them sign up because there was no leases coming into it just yeah. to get them on there. And we look and everybody's a hundred hours under market. Well, for us to go there and rip everything off, it's not the right choice. So we're going to people that have been great performers because just because tenants pay less rent doesn't mean they're bad tenants. They were just offered less rent, which if I, if you and I was like, Hey, you, you can live here for less money. You say, Sounds yeah, good. great. Sounds like a plan. So we go in there with a, a, a outwards and approach where we fix the outside first, fix up the landscaping, fix up the signage, fix up everything about the property just, and now working on parking lots. And we start taking care of all the maintenance calls and start taking all that so we can now go to tenants that are good tenants and say, hey, listen, we're, you know, we're fixing up the, pro the, the property. We, we can do a, a six month lease for you at a nominal rent increase. And so for a hundred dollars under market, maybe we'll go up $50. And they'll, they'll see the improvements. They'll see we're taking care of, you know, you know, Mrs. Jones calls down. She's been calling for three months at the prior ownership. They won't come fix something. Okay, great. We call you guys, you get down there the next day and start fixing everything. So they see this, they start seeing now that they're, they're able to stay in the building and they're still paying $50 less than everywhere else. But it's saving me from having to go in there and do a three, four, 5,000 hour turn just to get that extra $50 rent bump, hedging on my occupancy dip and still keep my revenue high that I can meet distributions. The opposite side of it though, is that you also want to keep a very big track because tenants get conditioned to the prior ownership. So if the prior ownership were just never answering a call, not doing anything, well, then the tenant base may just say, well, you know, I'm just not going to call down when the, when the sink's running because ultimately here, no one comes anyway, even with the new ownership. But whereas in BNC assets, some of your highest expenses are your utilities. So we're also looking at our utilities here as we're doing our water savings plans and others to see if there's any anomalies. Because you start having this point where you get one, two, three months down the road and you're not paying attention to it. You go, oh, I just got a thousand hour rent, uh, you know, above on my water bill because they didn't tell us the toilet's running because they just didn't think that we would come. Right. So you I mean, utilities are, I'm sure part of your kind of reporting, your tracking Correct. Yeah. to make sure that, you know, especially if it's a, it's a common water, you know, you're making yeah. sure that- A lot of these will be master metered, you know, uh, paid by the owner. Yeah. And so some of the markets won't dictate where you can bill back tenants yeah. based on either just, you know, demand or based on just, some tenants just like one bill. Right. And sometimes you're predicated by, you're always predicated by the biggest owner. So if I own a hundred units and Johnny owns 300 units right around me, if Johnny doesn't build back tenants, I can't build back tenants because right. he's pushing right. the market has kind Correct. of said, uh, right. So what you're saying is that kind of, as part of your kind of weekly cadence, you're also looking at utility consumption Absolutely. and saying, Hey, if it was up a hundred bucks, you know, month over month, what's going on there. And there's a, you know, there's a problem. You can keep your tenants and keep happy tenants and also make a ton of money by improving the property without going nuts on the rent. And I find that a lot of errors made where everybody just focus on the rent, but misses everything else that's not the rent where you can maximize the property, make tenants happy, and then get the, and then get the rent and start going up the market in some yeah. capacity. You know, I mean, I agree with you. I, one of the things I talk with our investors is I think utilities are oftentimes the uh, forgotten item, you know, pro mm -hmm. forma, right? And that people look at rents and can I increase rents? And they look at maintenance and, and can I decrease maintenance? But the, the utility item can actually be pretty significant. Yeah. And some of that is just keeping your eye on the ball. I'll <laughs> give you a good example. So the uh, we were able to refire our first property after 13 months, gave investors 75% of their money back. It was just, awesome. it was great. But all we did on one air avenue there is we changed all the toilets across the board. Cost us $22,000 or something like that. 
that 22,000 hours cut our water bill by 30, uh, right around 28, 30%. That 28 to 38% now goes to our bottom line. That, that point to adding to our NOI at the seven and a half cap we brought it at, that we also refi that, added 350,000 hours of value. So I just changed toilets. So like, so if I, if like, just, and that's what you think about for like a, like a single family or two family, like what happens if you go change a toilet? Nothing. Like, <laughs> they're not going to like, no one's going to pay you 300,000 hours if you change a toilet for a flip. Yeah. But here, just changing toilets, nothing to do with rent. Yeah. The, the building's now, you know, a third of a million dollars worth. Yeah. More. I mean, I love your, so your strategy, and I'm sure what you're, what you're, what you're doing is some, some version of the burst strategy where you're buying it and, and I, you know, the guilt to kind of talk our listeners through out here handling financing, but with the play of refinancing a year or two, three years down the road. And if that's what you're doing with a, a property trading in a cap rate seven to eight, like they are right now in, in multifamily, any change that you make to either costs or reven revenue, you know, you're looking at a multiplier of like times 13 or something like that yeah. of what, what that actually is, is valued at from on the refi side, which, which can be a game changer. Absolutely. And so when we're preparing our investment summary for investors, we never factor in the, the refi just for the context. We don't, we, we want the deal to work without it. Okay. So just, you assume it's not going to be refied. We, we say we would like to refi. However, I, I don't want to guarantee it is, especially in like in, in an economic environment like this, everybody's been, you know, calling recession for two, three years. It's going to happen eventually, right? Yeah, Unless it's Australia and we have, who knows, that could happen, right? They, there's a lot of trends saying that we can keep going for a couple of years, but let's just say, my my property has to work for a refi. And now two years out, either, you know, interest rates have gone nuts or or money's dried up because they're scared because everything's running for the hill. And now my property doesn't work because of that refi. So I'm always looking for a property that works. And will my numbers get better with the refi? Yes, absolutely. Love that. But I don't want to bank on that because I, I can't predict tomorrow, let alone two, three, four years out. So the way we're always safe is we, we buy cash flowing properties, we have adequate reserves, but on long-term debt. And so if I have a 10-year term right now, at least on that pack, and that's what we've been doing, we've been hedging investors saying, we're buying with with a, with a hold mind in, in mind of seven to 10 years, depending on the property. And could I sell in three? Yeah, absolutely. We're doing it now. But now I have the opportunity to choose and not be forced. So in year five, I'm not saying, I, I told you five years, now I have to sell and it's a bad time. And talk me through that. I assume, and I, it, one thing I've learned, every every bank and every financing has its own kind of way of doing things. Mm -hmm. I would assume, based on what you're telling me, you're structuring that loan so there's no prepayment penalty. Uh, depends. So this one actually does have a prepay, but we actually have a big enough delta for where the purchase, where we're selling above the mark for where we, we believed we were going to sell an additional four years from now. Just some of that is we've, we've, our performance, you know, we had a, a two year repositioning plan. We were able to do it in seven months. Okay. So we accelerated. So that. you did pay a prepayment penalty of 1% or whatever it was. Yeah, it's staggered. So depending on whatever it could, it could be 1%, it could be 2%, 3%, okay. you know, some loans, it's a step down. However, it depends on what kind of loan environment you have on, on but, the property. Okay. So, but you're basically saying, look, man, we, we increased value so much in seven months. Yeah. And to be able to pay back our investors 70% of their initial investment, even if I'm giving up a couple percent, that kind of sucks, but I'll, I'll do that in exchange for all that pushback money to investors early, which is like the best marketing play ever from. Yeah, we're actually, we're actually, play. and we're, we're exceeding our returns for what we were getting from the investors, ultimately from the beginning, worth where we're selling now instead of selling a couple of years out. So we'll make the best choice, right? Like 
if the right time, like if I buy a property and the next year it's the right, I'm going to make the, the returns I want to make for the investors and it's going to suit them best. I'll take it because nothing's guaranteed for the future. But if right. again, we're set up to hold for the long term, and that'd be that would be preferred with cash flow, you know, especially we're gonna do a cost seg study, everything else that's gonna go into it. But you you constantly wanna be checking in with the market to make sure that you that you know that things are aligning. And um are you you're you're up your uh trying to gain is is IRR kind of the the metric you're using to figure out what is the best outcome here? Because it's it, tricky with the time value of money, yeah, right? It is. And so I'm always looking from two things. I, I don't really look at an entry cap. I did because most of the time people people use it when it's not it's a stabilized measure. And so if you're using it on an unstabilized building going in, it's like you're using it incorrectly. So if I was to say, hey Chad, I'll give you this class A asset um for one dollar and you know tenants can move in tomorrow and but it's it's zero percent occupied. Well, it's a zero cap, you know, and so you if you were just buying on caps purely cap rate, you would be like all right, well, I only buy five caps, so I'm not buying it. You know, like, but right. again, like as simple as that. Yeah, so yeah. if you're looking at it from that capacity, you're ultimately being receiving. You gotta, the exit cap is where you you put a lot of time into. And then we're buying it on cash and cash. We're trying to get an eight, 9%, not including the sale. We're buying IRR. We're trying to, and this is for the limited partners. We're trying to hit a 14 or better uh, okay. on a five, a five year hold. And then 17 to 18 uh, for annual, annual average return, including the sale. Okay, Those so the, the, the 14 doesn't even take into account the the sale at the end. The 14, the 14 will take into the sale. Oh, well, right there. okay, so yeah. you're saying after five, if, if we sell in five. If we sell in five, we yeah, spread, over, spread over five. But you might not, right? You might hold Correct, it. Okay. yeah. That's great. I mean, we're covering a lot here. I hope Yeah, we're people, jumping. This so, is so good, though. This is super yeah. good. Super, I love your logic. Super interesting. I get asked these questions a lot. Um, talk me through, um, you mentioned a, a, a cost seg study. I want to dig a little bit into that because that's a topic that we're, that we're hearing more about mm -hmm. in real estate right now. It's a bit technical. Um, are you doing, first, I guess, explain for the audience what a cost seg study is. And then I guess my second part of the question is, are you doing those a lot of times? And then three, I guess, just why, why it makes sense in, in sure. kind of today's economy. So we, there, everything's set up for a longer term hold right now. So we're doing it on every project. Every project. Every wow. project. Okay. And so for that, and, and this is an apartment building. So like for the small couple projects we have left in New Jersey, it doesn't make financial sense. But again, it's gonna come down to, this is a way to be able to push up return, to push up uh, everything for depreciation. It's, it's Depreciation is basically set up a streamlined depreciation, 27 and a half years split out over the course of the life of the property. America is one of the greatest countries in the world because you can just keep depreciation assets. And so if I sell it to you five years in, I've depreciated for five years, well, you get to start over and do it for another 27 and a half years. It just, it's the only country in the world you can just continue to, say a, a property just is now being depreciated out forever, right? But there's an engineer study where you can actually take that and move those up into classifications because 27 and a half years, well, I don't have many, you know, I don't have much carpet that can last for 27 and a half years. That, the plank flooring, the electric, the bones of the property now can get allocated into five, seven, and 15 year categories. What that does is it pushes forward your losses. And this can be very good for investors who, who have other passive environment there because now they're able to push those losses forward, take those losses against their other earnings right there and help offset some of the taxes they're paying there. And what happened with the, the Trump administration is you're allowed up to, I think it's 2026, take all that depreciation year one. So now you're able to classify that and push it all into year one. And the good news with that is now you're taking all those losses up front. 
The other point is if you don't have enough to, to offset those losses, you don't lose it. It just goes to year two, year three, year four. So is that lose. what you're doing? You're, you're using accelerated um, depreciation to basically in year one, you're, you're maximizing all those losses. So basically your apartment complex in year one is showing a heavy loss. It is. I yeah. And so you get that loss and yeah, don't call me here, but like typically if, if someone's investing a hundred thousand hours, they're getting about 75,000 in, loss. uh, in losses. So that's, it's a nice little part for them to do uh -huh. there. Um, and again, we're not banking this into return. So this is not, this is outside, yeah. but this is a nice thing for investors to, if they're looking for it. And correct me if I'm wrong, is I, I'm not a super expert in this, but if you are not a full-time investor, those losses can help you with your other passive investments but they cannot offset your W-2 income. Correct. Am I yeah, right there? yeah you're, you're right on that. And you always want to talk to your accountant because there's certain ways where um, if you invest through your self-directed IRA, the depreciation doesn't flow to you. So it's going to be depending how you invest, right? right? So right. It has certain points. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's going to go to your passive. It's not going to go on your, on your active side unless you're the active member right there. And yeah. then that's how it would work. Okay. However, looking on cost seg, you have to think, if I'm only going to be in this project for one year, well, then it's not the right move because you're basically recapturing this just to capture on the back end when you sell it. <laughs> so you recapture everything when you go to sell. So you, if the whole environment is going to, you know, it's a five to $10,000 study most likely. So it's and, gotta, it only makes sense if you're holding this thing for probably four, four years or more. Yeah, it could be, you know, we, we typically say four or five years yeah. just because you want to have that allowed to take effect. You just don't want to do it and then get it up front and then just get re-hit with it on the sale. It just makes no sense. That's awesome, man. Super uh, sophisticated the way you're thinking about things. I can see why you've been so successful um, growing a major portfolio. I love your systematic thought. Um, I want to I want to kind of kind of wrap this with one last topic in as you start looking long term. So you're invested right now in I think you said Indiana, Georgia, Kentucky. Do I have uh, it right? Uh, Texas and Texas. OK, yep. um, so, you know, virtually uh, multifamily syndications. We're big into tech here. We talk mm -hmm. a lot about tech on real estate hackers. I can actually tell you're pretty into systems and process. I don't know if you call yourself a tech nerd or not. But no, um, I, I probably throw rocks at a computer and then hopefully find people like yourself that can show me how to turn it on kind of thing. <laughs> right, but yeah. but that but it's interesting, even though you're not a, necessarily a, a tech, you get hurt. You're a huge systems guy, a huge operator with processes. Are you starting to think about the next five years? Have you started to think about how you see this world changing? and things maybe that you're excited about that are coming in the future or that you want to kind of push the boundaries of, let's call it multifamily, but really, really virtual multifamily investing. You know, so from a market standpoint, we are pushing heavy into the Southeast, right? No, no one goes from New Jersey and says, hey, I'm going to retire and move to Kentucky, you know? And so <laughs> for that point, you know, the, the Southeast, we're pushing more into Georgia, heavily into Florida. That That's where our move is because it, Having the data available and the access to data today is amazing, right? If I was trying to do this 30 years ago, I don't know how I would be able to source and, and, and find the data on the markets and the trends in the markets, the vacancy reports, what certain submarkets are doing, what the new construction outlook looks like this, what, what the need for, for tenants and for, for new housing coming on is needed compared to people moving in. Ha having that, that, that access to those reports just allows you to streamline data in, in, in a point that it's just going to continue to get better. And be able to do sites that, that can quickly tell you like what rent capacity looks like. And that can be paid at paid sites and, and not paid sites and have that access. Now, moving into that now, it's also going to streamline. There's going to be a lot of ways where we should be able to have better relationship. I, I we, we slightly talked about this in the past, but 
you, you the property management uh, space is is more uh, on the dinosaur approach now, and it's going to move to a whole different point here to be able to make the tenant relationship or the the, the tenant process is, is going to get more automated to make it more fluent to make it a better customer experience, and to be able to move in that point where it allows for you to, to save on cost but make it more efficient, and so people are happier. That's going to be a thousand times easier, especially like like keyless entry or or having things with your utilities where where they're automated to set. So if people are you know the building cools down or or a lot of LED or we're doing green programs on buildings now because we're getting a discount on our interest rate. A lot of that's going to move to the capacity where it's it's going to be able to make even older assets more efficient because the processes surrounding how they're handled are going to become more efficient. I want to pause you on one comment you made, which is the first time I've heard you, anyone say this. So you were saying. Quickly, you said uh, in your list, which was awesome, uh, that by doing a green program, you're actually getting lower interest rates on your loan. Yeah, they'll give you a credit. It, lenders have that same capacity. They want the building to perform better. It saves them on the environment. It's 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 a better thing if they have a loan on the building. It's it's also saving the building. So I just did one, and um, we got I think we got 0.25 on our a discount on our rate. Now they came in with a list of of 52,000 hours I had to do to get this. Well, I was able to meet. You have to get 30 percent savings on energy with 15% coming from energy and, and, um, and then the rest coming from water. So I could do 18 from energy and 12 from water or whatever. It just had to be 15 minimum from energy. They had like a 15 or 50,000 hour list that they were like, Hey, you could do this and do this. And I looked at them and I said, well, I could do this for 12. So I was able to do it for 12,000. And then actually that was what their cost was from uh, the lender side. I was actually able to beat it and do it for 8,500 with, with the property management company. So I got that huge savings on the interest rate for $8,500. Plus it's gonna make the building more efficient. And these were things for changing out aerators and faucets and shower heads, uh, taking hot water pipe and, uh, you know, and insulating it, just simple components. And there. I mean, things that you probably would have done even without the interest A rate lot savings. of this we would have taken down because like things like that, the aerators like super, like cuts the water bill down. Right. But now I'm getting a bonus for doing that. And so you have a lot of, you know, Freddie or Fannie loans that will offer this product because on a loan side, they're now offering a loan on the building and they want this building to actually sustain. So for them to get a building that can be a point and you'll see a lot with new construction, right? Like new construction will take into account, well, where are we building the trees? Cause how are the trees going to offer shade to the building and the shade to the building is going to save on the utility costs because it's going to be able to, to point where they won't have to run the AC because the AC is going to be covered up with the trees. So maybe they'll be able to keep the AC at this point, which will save us someone smarter than me is figuring it out, but we'll save them 7% on their utility bill for the AC for the year, which amounts to X amount of dollars, which amounts to X amount to the bottom line. That's crazy. Uh, I, I never, I mean, I've, I've, we've talked a lot of guests here on the show. It's the first time I've even heard of the idea of basically a tech enhancement in this case, something kind of on the green side, actually yeah. leading to a lower interest rate from your mortgage company. Um, that's pretty awesome. A, a definitely a, a win, win, win situation oh, for everyone. Um, yeah. and if you ever go to sell the thing for sure, the increased value there, you know, to, to say our, our property is green, you know, for future buyers is a, is a, is a win. As well, you're in, you're improving utility, so it all goes to your bottom line, and it just makes the building more efficient, right? And the the thing that changes from a single family house to an apartment building is that I'm buying businesses; they just happen to be apartment buildings. And so, if I improve it, I I, I sell it more because it has a has more of a cash flow stream. If I'm yeah. buying a house, I'm only as predicated as whoever likes the the paint or the if it's granite or from mica or whatever it is. So I'm I'm, I'm just I'm aligned to whatever people like, not in the condition of how the building performs. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Um, well, look, I, I mean, and I assume you guess 
you, I guess you, you're excited about this even increasing more in the future, right? I mean, as you, yeah. So it's basically your your play is, you know, go more green probably, more, more utility consumption, and then really hammer home the southeast. Is that kind of your it long is. term, you know, five year plan? It is, and it, it, so where we're at now, we're trying to even go bigger because again, the environment is that the larger you can, the more economies of scale you get. Just like as you can imagine, right? If I said, um, Chad, come manage my twelve unit give me a full-time leasing person, a full-time maintenance person, it, it's it's not going to be able to afford it with the property. But if I can say, hey, um, I'm going from a 75 unit to a 200 unit, well, now I'm even getting more with the economies of scale and everything spreads out. So we're looking for that capacity where we can take buildings and still do the play with where we can find value within the minis play, find value, of course, within the rent play, and also find value within the, the management side and the efficiencies of the management side. Because so much is built in that, that the processes and it, it's shocking, but you can find that that poor processes are hurting buildings that are that are 300 units. Can't, you know, just just because they're a bigger property doesn't mean they're being managed efficiently. Right, Sometimes they're actually, if it's owned by a bigger group, they're even being managed less efficiently. Oh, right. So for that, that's we're going to continue to move right here, and we bring investors on and just continue to help as many investors we can to meet their financial goals too, along with us. It's awesome, man. Look, I uh, I want to wrap this up. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks Covered for a me. lot of stuff. Uh, definitely a different topic. Uh, we don't normally meet people who are doing this kind of multifamily scale, but also virtually. Um, I'm sure some of our guests may want to reach out to you. Is there, what's kind of your preferred method? Are you, uh, sure. and, and you, but, well, first of all, you have a podcast yourself, I think. Uh, we do. Yeah. Multifamily Foundation podcast as we do multifamily. So and that may, it would make sense. We go there. And then uh, we, Yerusi Holdings, Y-A-R-U-S-I holdings.com. You can find me there. Um, I have a special report there. If you want to learn how to buy apartment buildings and get into apartment investing, why it makes sense, go there and get that report, learn more about us, find the podcast and other. It's awesome, man. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you around and hearing more about your story. Awesome. Thank you, Chad. Cool. Bye. So that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.